Hey guys, this is Tyler Platt with Grassroots Living Soil Podcast. Today, we've got uh, David Olson and we've got Jenny. Jenny from New Age Laboratories. Jenny, can you introduce yourself because I'm horrible at it? Sure. Uh, Good afternoon, everybody. I'm Jenny Garley from New Age Laboratories. Uh, The lab itself is in Michigan, and I'm located here in um, California, the Monterey Bay area. I've been in sap analysis for six years. Beautiful. We've got David Olson here. I've nicknamed David Olson, you guys will find on social media, as the microbe man. So um, eventually he'll start up an Instagram account and you'll be able to track him down and all that cool stuff. But he's Dave the Microbe Man. And uh, Dave, tell us a little bit about yourself real quick. Sure. Well, I'm the proprietor of Sustainable Growing Solutions. We manufacture uh, organic microbial inoculants and fertilizers for commercial agriculture. I've been, I'm a sixth generation farmer here in California. I grew up on a farm in the Sacramento Delta, pears, apples, and row crop and vegetables. Um, I've had my own agronomic consulting company uh, using airborne multispectral remote sensing. So in that, I consulted on probably easily over a million acres of production ag, including over 70 different crops. So I got to see lots of problems along the way and really discovered that what I enjoy doing is helping growers solve problems. Beautiful, beautiful. We've got our our problem solvers here, people. Um, So today I kind of uh, formulated this podcast because there's some people that will find um, Jenny and Dave because they've kind of hit that oh crap moment and we've got to employ some science to kind of fix it. Um, And then I'm sure there's the people that just say, I need to step things up and take it to the highest level possible. And what tools can I use to get there? And that's going to be biological tools, or that's going to be a tool to help you look ahead and see what's going on with the plant and see what it's uptaking. Because I've gotten really heavy into soil testing and soil amended, saturated paste tests, and and trying to to treat the soil like a kitchen and say, I, I want this plant to be able to grab what it can when it wants to, and so it can be free. It's not a prisoner. It's not locked up to the nutrient plant, or, or it's not dependent on Tyler. It's dependent on the soil. And that's what I want is a plant that's dependent on the soil, dependent on the environment, not dependent on on me, that crazy human being is running around with my head chopped off 24-7 and can't keep things straight because that's usually what's going on on these farms. Um, some of them are a lot more chill than that, I'd have to say, and more organized. But, you know, sometimes things are crazy because the irrigation pipe breaks and everything's got to stop and got to fix that. we got to fix it so it doesn't break for 10 years. So, you know, I know that's that's how things go. That's farming. So, again, welcome to the Grassroots Living Soil podcast. Um, so anywhere you guys have podcasts, please don't forget to like, rate, review. Um, give us suggestions of, you know, other people we should have on here or other topics we should have. Um, this is a moving and evolving thing, and we want to just constantly continue it and, and move it forward. Um, so, Dave, you've got some awesome notes of... Um, of bringing us into sap testing and and why we should do that. So um, I'm kind of going to be the the referee here today and bouncing things back and forth in between these two and and stopping and uh, throwing in my two cents when I get to and that kind of stuff. So um, Dave, you want to you want to start off and tell us why we're here today and, sure. and what we got to do to straighten this crap out? Well, I think you set the table just right in in that I think both Jenny and I get a lot of those phone calls of ah uh, <laughs> things that things are going. Horribly wrong, and of course, agriculture is is nothing but you know it's it's tremendously 
complicated set of logistics and all sorts of you know different variables get thrown in, in there. So you oftentimes kind of get caught off guard. And and uh, both Jenny and I, you know, professionally, part of part of our jobs is to help solve those problems. What what I think is slightly ironic is that both what she does with the SAP analysis and what we do with the biology is really best used uh, proactively, you know, to ensure that you stay on track and you don't run into problems. Both both can be an important part of, you know, diagnosing the problem and fixing the problem, but doing a, a reactive uh, uh, prescription to try to, to fix something that's already gone wrong uh, is much more costly. You know, you're already losing yield and, and, and vitality in, in the crop or... You know, or past the point where we can apply certain nutrients and actually even have them have an effect. Right. I yeah. think that blew me away of like, well, you know what? You missed the train on cobalt, buddy. We'll do that next year. I was like, oh, gosh. like, yeah. Or man. substantially diminished returns. Yep. Yeah. Or having too much in the plants. You cannot take nutrients out of a plant once it's there, even though I get lots and lots of calls of I've over applied. How do I get it out of my plant? And a normal cannabis grower is like, oh, I'm going to flush. And then in a soil system, you're going to ruin your pH and your EC, and you're going to mess things up. You can't just flush. And you guys can probably, we're kind of getting a little bit off track here, but like in my mind, roots uptake. A lot of people feel like if they put a lot of water into the plants, they're going to flush stuff out of the roots and out of the plant and out of the system. I'm guessing that's not right. I don't know if anybody wants to jump on that train. And not unless you're leaching the, the soil nutrients out, you know, past the, the root zone, you know, so... When you have a, a problem with nutrient availability, you know, it can be the, the nutrients are not there. Uh, they can be in the wrong form uh, and therefore not plant available. And that's, of course, part of what the microbes are for is to process the nutrients into plant available forms. Or they can actually be in the soil but not in the place where the roots are. So if you've leached all of your nutrients down past your root zone, it's like, well, you put them on uh, and they're in the soil, but the plant can't get it. Yeah. Okay. So, well, last time you and I got together, you know, we talked a lot about biology. And, of course, I think we really want to stay a, a lot on topic for the SAP analysis. Yes. It's such a wonderful tool. Uh, and, and we did talk about it a, a kind of a couple times during our last chat. So I thought maybe if we started out from scratch, because I know a lot of people aren't really very familiar with this as a tool. So I think most people are familiar with a tissue test. Yeah, and I know yeah. I know you've got some very good points of telling us why those are different between a SAP test. Yeah, so the the tissue sample that most people are familiar with, and Jenny can jump in here at any point. Uh, of course, we're, what we're looking at the structure of what the plant's already built, and so it what you're getting is a nutrient profile of the tissues that were constructed. But it, it's kind of like looking in the rearview mirror because it's what's already happened. Yeah, and okay. where where the SAP analysis is is different in its in its approach, uh, it it does the same thing. It's like looking at what nutrients are in their plant, but it's what nutrients are actually flowing in the SAP. Mm. So it's much more real time. It's more like taking a blood test, you know, for a human. It's like what's going on with you right now. Yeah. Uh, if you wanted to to do a nutrient test for say a human, you could take hair and fingernails and things like that and and say what's your nutrient status well that would tell you what happened when you're growing those yeah but not real time we don't do that because taking a blood test is much more effective in telling you happen what's happening with the person right now it's yeah. exactly the same thing with the plant beautiful beautiful 
Um, sap analysis is great for nutrient balancing. What is being taken up right now, uh, focusing in on how to balance your nutrients as where tissue would be historical, accumulative, what's already been taken up, um, not able to really correlate uh, current balancing uh, anions and cations with historical uptake in uh, the nutrients that's already cemented into the actual tissue uh, sap analysis is expressed. It's the sap inside the plant that it's expressed. It takes about 20 minutes. Um, tissue analysis, uh, that that tissue is actually ashed, and that takes about 10 to 12 hours. Completely different process. And you got to imagine that, you know, that ashing process volatizes chemicals and doesn't give you, I don't know, it's just like whenever you burn something, things change, you know. it's It's not... Not the way it was at that point. Can you talk a little bit about how many samples you guys bring in with SAP testing in your history with with what the hemp farmers you guys have worked with and all the... You guys are pretty big out there in Michigan. We are. So about 40% of our total SAP analysis is hemp cannabis throughout the year. It's it's pretty significant, actually. It's a big number. A big number. And number two, which is significantly less than hemp cannabis, is actually corn. Mm, Okay. that's um, the, the corn is really ramping up. But um, yeah, we have a lot of in ground and uh, greenhouse activity in um, Michigan, but we test all over the U.S. Do you guys have a lot of growers that are growing more than just can or excuse me, were growing other stuff besides cannabis and now are growing oh, hemp yeah. or cannabis? Yeah, paired farming, as an adoption. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah, we have. Uh, uh, cannabis blueberry growers. We have um, hemp industrial and um, CBD and CBG growers um, that grow stone fruit um, mm. at, at the same time and and cut flowers. Actually, cool, so cool. It's, it's a cool like array. daylilies and stuff. I know the yeah. daylilies are huge out yeah. there. Cool, cool. I know that in Michigan there's a big like parade every year or something where it's all about the flowers and the daylilies and that kind of stuff. So uh, I have a customer told me all about this. Oh, That's the extent well, that, of my knowledge. I right would there. actually love to go. So. Yeah, doesn't sound great. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Dave, keep us on track here, man. No, no, no. That's perfect. Um, so I think another aspect of the SAP analysis that, that's worth comparing back to the plant tissues is uh, the price of the test is about the same. The turnaround time is about the same. Uh, and But with the tissue sampling, really, you, you typically are just sampling one particular part of, of the plant. It can be a whole leaf or a petiole or even whole plant. Uh, so there's different types of way, you know, strategies depending on the type of crop, how they do uh, tissue samples. With a sap analysis, you're just pulling off the, the whole leaf, including including the petiole, but you're taking a, a complete sample for young tissue and a complete set of sample for older tissue. And that's that's really important in looking at the nutrition that's going to different parts of the plant depending on how uh, how old that growth is. Uh, and, of course, it's particularly important when we start looking at the mobile nutrients in the plant. So there's some, some nutrients that the plant uses that it can fix in older tissue and that if it becomes deficient, it will steal from the older tissue to relocate it to the higher priority new, new growing tissue. Uh, that's so, when I see my yellow leaves at the bottom of the plant. All of a sudden, it's like one day there's three or four, now there's six or eight. That's it's stealing nutrients from those and moving it somewhere else in a certain sense. Uh, sometimes that can be the case, yeah. Especially if you see a pattern in in the change of the color that 
uh, coincides with the symptoms of, of different types of nutrient deficiencies. So as an example, if it was kind of an intervenal chlorosis, chlorosis is like, okay, it's stealing nitrogen from one part of the plant to the, to the other. So, yeah. Um, anyway, um, so that's something that you can't do in, in the tissue samples is, you know, give that hard look between the old, old, uh, growth and the new growth. Mm-hmm. And that gives us an opportunity to learn more about the plant nutrition than I think uh, any tool that we've ever had up to this point. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the uh, university extension system, you know, uh, worked very hard for very long developing these nutrient profiles for different crops. You know, so they, they say this is how many units of, you know, each one of the primary nutrients you need and, and some rough sense of what their timing is in terms of uh, how many units you need at a particular growth stage. Uh, but, you know, that, that was such a hard, long process for them to develop, to develop those. And, and to be honest, uh, they're, they're pretty far out of date, and they, they may not be all that applicable to a lot of the varieties of these things that we're growing now because yeah. a bunch of these were done actually back in the 50s or even oh, wow. the 60s or 70s. And so some of the analytical tools that we have now, obviously, were, were not available then. So if, if you really look at the level of sophistication of our knowledge of what nutrients do, does this plant need at each growth stage is pretty, pretty primitive or pretty yeah. basic. And I think that the SAP analysis gives us a tool that we can look much, much deeper into this. So earlier you alluded to, you know, there, there's a window of opportunity or, or a, a peak requirement of a nutrient at a particular growth stage. If you miss that stage, it's like, well, you kind of, you've, you've reduced the overall you know, yield potential of this crop because you missed that window and there was this deficiency during that period of time. Uh, the SAP analysis, I think, is going to, over time, allow us to really fill in to a much greater degree of resolution in terms of the quantity, the type, and the timing of mm-hmm. all, of, all of these nutrients. So just incredible. And, and then when we start looking at the ability to combine this with other data sets, uh, looking at soil fertility and looking at final yield or final quality, uh, and then correlating that to say, you know, climate conditions that happened and, and I think I said yield, but oh and, and variety. If you can start kind of piecing these things together, we can do statistical correlations in developing these nutrient relationships that are going to lead to entirely new levels of understanding about how we should be growing our crops. Mm. And what it means is we're going to use less input, but it's going to be put on in the right quantity at the right, right time, time in the right form. Uh, and and we're going to see, I think, you know, the next incremental uh, improvement in, in the quality of the food that we're raising, certainly, uh, and the quantity that we raise, and and how efficiently we raise it. Wow, wow! Getting into some nutrient dense food there, and ultimately, very very high quality cannabis and hemp too, obviously. Um, so I want to hit the brakes for just a second and just say, is Jenny, is there? What's the most common thing that you're seeing? Is it is it deficiencies or overabundance of nutrients? I would say both, but uh, over usually overabundance of nutrients leads to a deficiency, and that's the premise of understanding anion uh, negatively charged 
nutrients and cations, positively tar- charged nutrients. So mm. um, most of the time, if you have an overabundance of, uh, we'll pick a, 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 a cation of potassium, then you will have a deficiency in another cation, say calcium or magnesium. Mm. So okay. they both go hand in hand, actually. Okay. So the the plant has receptors for these types of nutrients that are based off of the, the charge that the, the element has. So the cations having the single positive charge, or even sometimes a double positive charge. So they're they're kind of, they're looking for those receptor sites in the plant, and that's actually how how they get used in the com- chemical combinations as well as in the plant physiology. Um, and so what. Uh, Jenny's referring to is you can have uh, base saturation in a, a particular cation, and it's it's com- if you have a lot of one, it's competing for the ability, you know, those receptor sites in the plant. So, I'm sure other people have come up with this analogy, but it's one that is kind of visual for everybody to think of. Is so you have a, a bag of M and M's, and it represents all your different cations. And the cation that you are oversaturated in, uh, yeah, I think you said potassium. In that sure, example. let's go with potassium. Okay, that's so those are your brown M&Ms. And you can only grab blind into the bag. It's like, well, what I really want is I want calcium because it's, it's competing with potassium for uptake or magnesium or manganese or copper, zinc. There's a lot of different colors uh, in this bag. Uh, yeah, well, and, and, and they, they get need, And they need to be in, in a balanced ratio yeah. as well because – uh, you can only grab blindly in, into the bag. And so if what you really need is a green zinc or a blue copper uh, and you keep getting brown, uh, then you've got a problem. And so that's that's part of what you can see here in this SAP analysis, and that's, that's what Jenny was alluding to, was you can see the ratios between these things and, st- and make sure that you are keeping things in balance so that as the plant is naturally taking these things up, uh, that it's getting the nutrition in the proper por- proportions. Now, this, this is a place where I can kind of bring the biology back into it mm-hmm. in that the, they're one of the functions of the microbes that we actually talked about last uh, podcast was uh, a cytophore function, which the microbes have the ability to solubilize and chelate different cations. So all the different cations that I just talked about, the microbes can actually facilitate those being gathered in the soil and brought to the plant. The plant can actually direct the biology, the microbes, to collect particular ones. So if you do have a base saturation problem that we were just discussing, uh, the microbes can mitigate part of that. Uh, so if you know you're you're low on copper and you just not, not getting that collected, the, the biology can actually preferentially start getting a better balance rep- uh, represented back to the plant. Hey, Dave, can you go into a little bit what chelation means? Oh, Some sure. people might not understand oh, that sure. word. Yeah, because yeah, maybe the only touch they've had with it is a chelator. Right. Because I'm going to use a chelator to make things work. So that goes in a little bit deeper into what it is. Sure. Well, I, I guess the simplest way to think of it is as a chemical claw. Mm. So think of the shape of a C, and you have a negative charge on both ends of the C. So what that would like to do is collect a positive charge in the middle of it. And so these cations are the positive charge ones. So it's got this negative C-shaped claw, basically, that can grab those positive cations. 
So that's the simplest way to try to explain it. A cation is a, or excuse me, the chelation. Beautiful, beautiful. So if we don't have our M&M bag properly filled out in the right areas, we're going to end up picking something we don't want and then cause a problem, you know, right. in a certain sense. Because And I had a little bit of a mind blow in a second because I'm helping a friend who's noticed, you know, yellowing on his leaves and this and that, and it looks like a magnesium-potassium deficiency. But it's a good point that I didn't think of to tell him is we may have an overabundance of one nutrient that has caused that. So you may may be feeding those right amounts of magnesium and potassium, but because of something else that's going on over here, you're locking those out or stopping those from becoming available. So a really, a really good example of that I see a lot is um, the symptoms look very similar. Is you have an overabundance of sodium, which many times causes a deficiency in potassium, and they both have extremely similar symptoms in the older leaves, brownings on the edge. Mm. So um, understanding that, yes, you could have a potassium deficiency, but what is causing it is a sodium toxicity. Mm. And so understanding where your sodium is coming from is really the first first step in this scenario. Again, with the M&M bag um, and the the brown M&Ms being at this point sodium. And the plant is continually picking out these brown M&Ms of sodium. Um, So that is part of the problem there is understanding actually where your overabundance is coming from. So sodium and potassium are cations. They're positively charged. Um, They both have a plus one. So they're they're both very easy to take up. Uh, We were talking about the valence and that is um, how many uh, pluses and minuses there are and that actually has um, a lot to do with how easily or uneasily the nutrient is um, being able to taken up by the plants and sodium and potassium have equal they're both plus one which means they're really easy to take up Mm. okay beautiful beautiful um so I know you got a big list of, of stuff there, Dave. So I, I hope we actually make it through your list of notes here today. I know we haven't been very successful in that in the past, which is a good thing because that means we've got a lot of great stuff to talk about. Yeah. No shortage of material. No, we're doing great. Um, probably just one more thing about uh, different types of tests. Okay. And then maybe we want to go actually through uh, just line by line what are the different things that you get out of a SAP analysis and kind of what, is, what does each one mean. And the only question I have is, and probably towards Jenny, is is when I take this SAP test on a Monday, as in I'm pulling my leaves at before 8 o'clock in the morning, I get them in the box, I get them out to you, I get my results back on a Friday, um, how far ahead are we looking at that plant and its, its potential? Uh, you mean what window of time is the SAP analysis giving you? Uh, to try and uh, fix like a look ahead how in yeah about yeah. three weeks depending depending on where you are in your growth stage the okay. earlier you take sap uh, the easier it is to fix um, imbalances toxicities and deficiencies are some of sometimes some of the easier ones depending on how it's being caused but if you take a sap analysis um, and hemp cannabis going into flower and that's your first one and it's a big big surprise to you of uh, how imbalanced you are it can be fairly difficult at the correct things so um, it's good to have insight and understand what is causing your symptoms but if you take it earlier be 
being able to give a huge window of opportunity to not get to the point of um, crisis. And it does take about 90 grams of leaf material to be able to get enough juice or sap because we're extracting the sap out of these leaves to test that. So it takes about 80 to 90 grams of material to be able to, to do so. Times two. Times two. Because yes. we've got to do the old leaves on the bottom of the plant that have the deficiencies and then the new leaves at the top of the plant. Um, so for we've got a lot of small growers, you know, closet growers and stuff that are going to listen to this and everything like that. So you would have to be to a certain level of plant material to be able to do so. That's correct. Um, just looking ahead, do you see any efficiencies in the next 10 years of, of, of making that sample size smaller and more efficient? Uh, we're actually already making a flow chart with our chemists to understand if you are a smaller grow facility or do trials. Actually, trial work does fall into this category as well with um, uh, low uh, uh, being low plant numbers is that we can tell you exactly what you're going to get with um, certain a weight of material um, if they all have sap in them. So we can tell you in the beginning, these are the nutrients, what you're going to get. And if you give us a little bit more, then this is the nutrients. And, and you can go all the way through the flow chart. And if you don't give us enough uh, material, you can see what you're going to miss. And um, you can see if it's still going to be reasonable or, or sensible for you to send in a sample. Hmm. Okay. So you guys are going to have an easy flow chart for an people to figure that chart. out. Right. Yes. Cool. Cool. Okay. Beautiful. All right, Dave, let's talk about the different types of testing, unless you had something else to talk yeah, and interject just, uh, about. I wanted to follow up on what Jenny was saying. So just for people at home, 80, 80 or 90 grams of leaf material, that's kind of, uh, kind of a loosely packed like quart Ziploc bag. Quart Ziploc bag, unless you have extraordinarily large leaves, you want to match the leaf size with the bag. We don't want folded leaves, ripped leaves. Uh, we don't want leaves, especially uh, that are brown and dying. If it looks like you have raked up leaves in the fall and put them in a trash bag, don't send those to us. Yeah, you're um, not going to be able to extract any sap out of it. Muddy leaves, also, our chemist gets angry. He doesn't like the muddy leaves. It's going to skew um, the sample. Why would you, you know, yeah. So the best sampling gives you the best results. And this is three days after a foliar spray. Three days or more after a foliar spray, yes. I guess that'd probably be about the same with the root drench feeding as well to the root system. Uh, that not, know, as, with, not with as a root drench, um, you could do three days, but some people, especially in trial work again, are looking at fast acting. How fast... Oh. does my product get into the plants? So they are actually on a trial basis for this very scenario. They're taking it, um, you know, one, two, and three days. They want to understand and tell their growers and their clients, this is very fast acting. We've measured it. Here are the results. Oh, that's wow. a great use of the product. Yeah. yeah or the tool. Yep. Nice. We have done some similar things in looking at how biology improves uh, plant nutrient status. So same, same sort of thought process. Beautiful, beautiful. And so we, oh, we can measure biology if it's working. We can measure it. We it's very sensitive to um, trace elements, and and if you're especially focusing on phosphorus, that would be mm. another great. Very tool to sensitive. See how, very sensitive. Yes. Mm, I like that. <laughs> so once once we've uh, you you collect your samples, preferably in the morning. Only in the morning. Only in the morning, and on the sunny side of the. Plant. Yes, and oh, the plants okay. are very young. 
That's correct. So Always that's a point I didn't hear. Consistency okay. is the key here. That's right. Sunny side of the plant. So that's one thing I did mess up last year. But yeah, let's keep going. And then because we're really trying to get the most accurate uh, lab results we can, we want to preserve those leaves. So we're going to put uh, package them in some sort of insulated container with uh, some sort of ice Absolutely. And if you are going to sample in the morning, take multiple samples in the morning and 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 hang out in the field or in the orchard, whatever uh, sampling area, bring a cooler. Good Uh, idea. Put put your samples in a cooler. I always just like you would treat a clone sandwich. Like, why would you go? Yeah. Like you're going to go take a clone and just leave it there in the sun and not expect it to wither away and wilt and stuff like that. So take your samples, treat it like a clone. And are there particular days of the week that you want to see a sample come into the lab? You don't want them on a Friday? I do. We can, so we can take samples on a Friday, but we will be putting it in the refrigerator and running it on a Monday. Okay. So just as any other lab would be doing that, um, keeping it under refrigeration. So if you would like a faster turnaround time, um, my suggestion would be to sample on a Monday, Tuesday, or a Wednesday and get it to us overnight or two days. Uh, if you're looking at uh, nitrogen and nitrogen volatilization and understanding nitrogen complexing, really preserving that nitrate number is very important. So uh, having your samples sampled, shipped, and getting to the lab as fast as possible to get the best uh, nitrate number. So you can do the conversion, which means you would want to uh, look at your total N and your nitrate as N. You want to share off those oxygen to make sure that you compare apples to apples and you can look at your nitrogen conversion. So sample time and uh, how how long it gets to the lab is important and making sure that they stay cool to keep, preserve that nitrate so it doesn't volatilize. Yeah, yeah when SAP analysis was first starting, um, I guess the first lab to do it was overseas. Mm. And so I, I know that they had some problems with just maintaining the quality of the samples for the shipping duration. And so I think there was the accuracy of the nitrate uh, test results that was something that was affecting their, their work. So fortunately now we have uh, New Age Labs and a couple others here in, in the States doing that kind of work. And so as long as we package them correctly, uh, we can get good quality, repeatable results in a very short amount of time. Beautiful. All right. So you said you have some other forms of testing? Yeah. So um, when we talked about nutrient deficiencies or, or oversaturation uh, competition for nutrient uptake, uh, another thing I like to look at is just the plain old uh, soil test. So just a nutrient analysis on your soils. And uh, I, I kind of I love looking at both the sap analysis and the soils together because if you have uh, – say, a deficiency or, or a lower number in, in say, a nutrient content in, this, in the plant, I want to immediately look in, at my soil and say, okay, what's going on here? If, if that nutrient is just not available in the soil, it's like, okay, the only way I can solve this is amending the soil. Uh, that would that kind of be your longer-term strategy. You can put a Band-Aid on it and do some uh, foliar applications and you know, kind of get yourself through the season. Uh, but the other thing that happens really quite frequently is you may have a low number in the plant and look at your soil and you've got astronomically high, high numbers. It's like, well, what's going on here? You know, I've got 
you know, literally years worth of phosphorus built up in my soil. And yet when I look at my plant, the plant doesn't have, an, you know, as much phosphorus as it wants. And that's what indicates to me a biology problem because the microbes are for processing all those soil nutrients and putting them in plant-available forms, delivering them to the plant. So We're missing some of our microbe community then. Yeah, exactly. And so that, or we that, don't have a community. That, that does happen too, especially, you know, people have uh, sterilized the soil, so, you know, they've uh, fumigated or they've uh, sometimes they've steam-treated their soils. We were talking earlier about uh, some, I think, flower greenhouses, or they they burn their field. I'm sure that would have an effect on the. Does that have an effect on the biology? Yeah, it does on the first uh, inch or so. You know, oh, there's, okay. there's kind of a lot of biology that can happen in there. But yeah, you okay. kind of uh, volatilizing. You know, basically a bunch of your soil carbon and humus and. Because in my brain, I was thinking they burnt the fields to put more nutrients in the ground because it was ash, and then I found out no, they burnt the fields to reset it faster. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like, wow, that's crappy. Is that correct? Yeah, a lot of the time that they're burning, they're, they have some sort of disease issue that they're trying to get rid mm. of. Uh, so, burning the aphids. Uh, yeah, or just some fungal, uh, mm. something that's going to overwinter otherwise. And so rather than incorporating that sick biomass back in the soil, they're like, hey, let's just burn it off. Uh, this, Try to clean the slate. Yeah, but, you know, of course, you're losing a lot of nutrients because they're burning up and volatilizing off off the ground. Uh, so, you know, it, it's not good for your fertilizer budget because you have to put more fertilizer on the ground to make up for all the nutrients you lost by burning your crop. Uh, wow. So, uh, you know, there's, I guess, a time and a place for that uh, potentially, but in general, probably not the best thing to do. Yeah, okay. I wanted to mention about silica and microbes in sap analysis. So we okay. do uh, measure silica, which is fun. It's one of my favorites. And silica is found in every soil, and it's a loose indicator of microbial activity. It's not oh, really? going to tell you what kind of microbial activity. Definitely not. But it is a loose indicator. So um, as Dave was talking about fumigation and uh, st- soil sterilization, uh, sap analysis from those uh, types of uh, growing will almost, uh, I have never seen a sap analysis that didn't have ex- incredibly low silica and some of it uh, came back non-detect. Wow. And if you want to compare that to an organic grower that's really been working on their soils, uh, you can have a silica number of around 200 or higher. Right and that's a PPM that you're, that you're talking PPM. about whenever we said yep. uh, a, a reading huge, on a sap test, we're talking about PPMs. Yes, a huge difference in Parts silica. per million. Uh, those, are, those are huge differences in growing techniques, though, as well. There's a lot of people that fall right in the middle mm. between fumigation and um organic growing for a few years there's transitional growers and conventional growers that just want to use soil microbes so there's there's a whole uh, spectrum in between but silica is a loose indicator of microbial activity awesome okay beautiful and if you're a better agronomist than i am but uh, as i recall the use of silica actually being in the plant tissues that's uh, helping with cell wall integrity and electrolyte leakage yes sir yes yeah. it is it also helps with calcium uptake oh oh see there you go there's a hot button yeah and calcium is one of those things that just i mean it 
the designation about what's primary and secondary nutrients is a little, a little bit arbitrary, but I think most agronomists would tell you if you were going to add you know, another uh, element to your nitrogen, potassium, and phosphorus, uh, that calcium would be the, uh, what would be your other principle of our primary nutrient. Absolutely. And, and it can be kind of challenging to get into the plant, and it's also very time-sensitive. So there's a lot of uh, – there's a window of opportunity to get a lot of calcium into the plant, so that's things like cell, cell division. Uh, so when we're we're looking at this sap analysis, of course, one important thing to look at is what what's the growth stage of the crop. So if you're at cell division and you look and you see that you don't have a lot of calcium being uh, taken up in the plant, especially well either in the older or new new tissues, uh, I'd, I would say that that's an indication of a current and pending uh, significant problem because that's the kind of thing that will haunt you all season long. Mm. Uh, if you have soft fruit uh, type varieties, you can have uh, end rots and things like that. The blossom rot happens with low calcium, so uh, all sorts of things. And calcium is a plus two, so it is also harder to get in the plant if you're looking at it from a chemical standpoint. It's also read differently on a sap analysis because it's immobile compared to your mobile nutrients, MPK, magnesium, sodium, and chloride. And when we talked about cations being uh, potentially oversaturated, you know, that there's one in such abundance that it's crowding out the ability to uptake the other ones, uh, in a lot of cases, it's actually the application of calcium that is used to push the other cations basically off of their uh, site in the soil so that they can be mobilized and leached down through the, the soil. So mm. when you have, say, salts, so the sodium in the, in the salt, uh, the the calcium can displace where it's lodged in the soil. So say if it's because calcium only goes down with gravity. Is yeah, that right. Yeah, there's there's quite a number of the nutrients that can move that do move through the soil profile, and calcium being one of them. Yeah. So if if you had say uh, sodium or salts in in the soil, and the sodium is bound up on a clay particle, so a clay particle is like a little plate with negative charges around the edges. So uh, the positive charged uh, sodium sticking to the negative charged uh, edge of that that uh, clay plate. So if you have a calcium come along, and pop it off, and that way it can be moved through the soil and be leached out past the root zone where it's no longer. Yet again, calcium is super important. Yeah. I've seen this used this exactly the scenario used very effectively in tomatoes. Actually, here in the San Joaquin Valley, we do have a salt issue here in mm. the soil. And farmers do use this method. Wow. Okay. Beautiful. So one thing I thought, oh, so part of looking at the two different tests, the soil test versus the sap analysis is there's a lot that the biology can do to help uh, the nutrient status of the plant. And as we talk about this sap analysis result, uh, we can we can identify some places where the biology has really really made a big difference in the nutrient status of the plant or improved it. Uh, but if there's uh, significant soil chemistry issues, um, the biology can help you with that. But the best thing to do is actually directly address those. Uh, yeah, problems. make some changes beforehand or in, in between the next cycle. Yeah. So one of them was that we we're just talking about using, uh, say, calcium or calcium products to push sodium out of the soil, well, you can do the same thing with magnesium. You know, so we do have mm -hmm. some soils here in California where we've got oversaturated uh, magnesium 
soils. So, um, you know, get your pH right, uh, address your cation issues. If you, if you kind of take care of those basic things, and also when you're looking at that sap analysis, if you've got nutrients that are just missing, not in your soil, obviously amend your soil and make sure you've got some of those, uh, some of that available for the microbes to work with. So if you, if you kind of start from there and then you can get the biology going, what you're going to start seeing is some fantastic numbers on your sap analysis and just really a big drop-off in the types of production problems that, frankly, that's what we're trying to prevent in the first place. Yeah, getting to that healthy crop, that successful, successful, no-stress, healthy crop that I'm hoping to get to one day. And it's kind of why I've got these people here is in the pursuit of fixing my own failures, I've, uh, you know, you, you reach in your toolbox and say, what do you have? And luckily I was introduced to David and then David introduced me to Jenny. And now I have more tools in my toolbox to use so I can have an easy, successful grow and still maintain, uh, the hair on my head and not keep it and not make it go gray. Um, and still have my, uh, really crazy job here at grassroots and traveling and everything. So, um, Great. So we should probably go through a SAP test if we think we're to that point. Yeah. Well, why don't we just kind of uh, give an overview of that? I don't know if you can post something, one of the test results. Yeah, the, the video side of things, we'll have that up there. Um, and then uh, we'll obviously uh, have some cool links. You guys can check out the New Age Laboratories Instagram page and check out their, their stuff going on. And then David's uh, products, Concentrated Biology as well. So we'll have those links and people can chase down to those cool stuff. So when you when you look at a sap analysis, again we're we're looking at both the old tissue and the, the new tissue. So for every one of these parameters, you'll have a dark green bar, which is your older tissue, and a light green bar that's the the newer tissue. So there's a couple different categories of things that we're that we look at. Uh, so there's kind of just overall health parameters. So that includes things like total sugars, the bricks, which is soluble solids, which we'll go back and, and talk about in a second the pH of the sap, and the electrical conductivity of the sap, so kind of general physical parameters. Then you look at your anions, which are chloride, sulfur, and phosphorus, uh, which, of course, can compete for uptake as well. Uh, and then you've got your cations, so, so the calcium, potassium, uh, and magnesium, and sodium. We've talked about all those, and, of course, even looking at the ratios of some of those. And then also, of course, uh, some of our trace elements, so just going through a bunch of the bunch of the others and then then also looking at several different forms of nitrogen so each one of these is important um, in looking at what the function of them the what the what function they do in the, in the plant uh, and also what form they're in in the plant because it can have uh, significant implications in terms of the quality of the fruit the shelf life of the fruit the susceptibility to different diseases and uh, the attractiveness or lack of attractiveness by bugs. So biting and sucking type insects. So those are the kinds of things we'll just bounce off as we kind of roll down the list here. So anything you want to add to the? Uh, no, if you, if you I, I love that you said sugars and bricks because there is a difference, yeah. especially when you're looking at the leaves. Comparatively to many people uh, think of bricks um, as sugars when they are testing, uh, let's say, grapes, for instance. Yep. It's a completely different si situation when you're testing leaves. Mm, so. Okay. Yeah. 
because there's a lot of hype around bricks. I've even hyped bricks pretty much myself. I'm saying you got to have a super healthy plant, high bricks numbers, and you're not going to have too many bug problems. Um, so, so straighten that out for me. Uh, sure. So bricks is a measurement of total dissolved solids, which uh, potassium can be in there. Uh, high nitrogen, calcium, that can all be in the BRICS number to boost it high, which can give you a false sense of a healthy plant when you're just looking at dissolved solids and you're thinking that you're looking at sugars. Oh, so when I've got my cool little... uh, Refractometer. Refractometer and my vice grips and all that kind of stuff, and I'm squeezing it out there, That's and I'm just looking at that BRICS level, I'm not really looking at what I thought I was looking at because I have so many other things skewing that number. The bricks is made up of so much. So much. So much. Okay, and that's why you guys measure that in three different levels of sugar. Well, yeah. So on a current sap analysis, we look at total sugar and bricks, but we can actually do a sugar panel, break out the different sugars within the total sugars of sucrose, fructose, and glucose. Oh, wow. Which is really, um, it's, it's, been in need. Uh, people have been asking for it. They want to understand uh, the, their total sugar number. Yeah, and, and, and if this was live right now and we had comments going and if I was reading the comments, everybody would be saying, oh, well, I feed molasses, bro. I've got all this molasses in there and blah, blah, blah. I've got all the sugar that my plant would ever need. Have you guys, would talk, let's talk, can we talk about molasses at all? I'll let Dave talk about molasses, and the sugar that we measure on sap analysis is the sugar produced by photosynthesis. Not the sugar you're pouring onto your plants. That's correct. (laughs) All right. Now we're breaking down walls here. (laughs) Well, first, I'm going to really look forward to seeing that uh, panel where you're going to break out the different sugars. That's glucose. Really interesting. Yeah, we're going to need and multiple we're pages get into the here. Reducing sugars, right? And we're really yes, it's um, it's quite interesting. It's getting deep. I getting think we're going to learn some things off that. Wow. So feeding sugar to your microbes. Yes, let's talk about feeding sugar to the microbes because that is hyped up so big right now. And I'm a part of compost tea brewers on Facebook and. Um, uh, uh, Probiotic Farmers Alliance on Facebook, giant, giant pages. And if you ever talk about compost tea brewing, they're like, oh, well, of course, when you put the molasses in, you got to have molasses. So it's my little rant. Sorry. I'll let this smart man talk now. <laughs> He's looking both directions. <laughs> um, well, since you produce microbes commercially, you should know about what to feed them, I'm guessing. Sure. And, and- what we're trying to do is when we raise our microbe populations, we're trying to give them all the building blocks to build a healthy, well-balanced population. So you can get a very large energy response out of microbes by feeding them sugar, right? Because it's a carbon and hydrogen, so you know, basic building blocks, and it's very easy for them to get at, so they consume it very, very quickly. Uh, so you get this kind of boom and bust sort of of uh, population response. Mm. A toddler with cotton candy, maybe? Yes, yeah, and right. Wow. <laughs> Crash, okay. Yeah, the meltdown yeah. is what my mom called it with my little brother, the meltdown, yeah. And when, yeah, if you want to raise healthy kids, you definitely don't give them a lot of sugar. Yeah. And so it's just, you just get that, that crash. So, uh, and the other thing I would say about the, the simple sugars is, 
you're likely to get more of whatever you have. So if you, mm. if you already have a really good biology and you need, need to give it a goose, um, you could give it some, some molasses or other, other forms of, of simple sugars. Uh, we don't do that because our business is building those, those populations of biology. Uh, and, of course, if you are working with your own microbes, if you don't have beneficial biology or good biology, what you're going to get is more of not good biology. Mm. Uh, and there's there's not necessarily always uh, an even population response to something like uh, input like sugar. Uh, so you might have a tendency to have more of the less favorable microbes respond to building their populations by giving them sugar than the better microbes. Beautiful, beautiful. And just like the plant doesn't want to just eat one thing because all the nutrients are locked out or the microbes don't want to eat just one thing like me, I I mean, I'll eat Mexican food, I'll eat Indian food, I'll eat American food, I'll eat a cheeseburger, like, I mean, tuna fish one day, like my my food is packed. I, don't, I go crazy eating the same thing every single day and I'm sure it would have the same effect on a plant or microbe population just to dumb it down. But yeah, sure. Well, they need all the same building blocks that we do, you know, so different proteins, I mean, you know, a range of amino acids to, to work with, uh, starches, you know, their carb, various forms of carbohydrates, the different vitamins and minerals, uh, carbon. So, you know, all, all basically the, all, all the things that you need to propagate life. Including a home to live and moisture. Yes. And air, air and, to breathe. And air, yep. So if you've got aerobic microbes, which is typically what we're wanting to propagate, um, we give them a lot of air. A lot of air. So Dave, let's talk about the what to feed the microbes then. Sure. It depends on um, what you're trying, what your goal is with the biology. But um, again, a, a complete food. So we, we manufacture a couple different uh, microbe food products. So Metagro M food. Metagross seafood, Metagross V-food, uh, that, that grassroots uh, carries all those products. And bloom. Can't forget oh. about bloom. And um, so, again, all of those have all those different building blocks. Uh, in the case of something like M-food, we have five different uh, proteins that we're bringing forward in it, and those are matched to have a very broad spectrum uh, set of amino acids. Because the objective of that particular food is to maximize the diversity of the, the biology, and that's really kind of the one of the principal philosophical cornerstones of, of our approach to, to biology in the soil is maximum diversity. But you can also uh, selectively uh, direct the biology to particular functions by only giving it, a, say, a, a particular type of, of uh, protein. So, as an example, chitin. Talking about steering the biology at this oh, point. Oh, I love biology steering. <laughs> so, <great. laughs> yeah. so fun. Yeah. So you can't do crop steering in a small tent, but we can do biology yeah. steering. So let's steer it. Yeah, so we call it directed biology. Directed biology. Yeah, so that's how we can actually get a population of microbes that have um, are more actively doing a particular set of, of functions. So we were talking about cations this whole time. So... Uh, some of the microbes have a cytophore function. They have the ability to chelate those cations, as I was mentioning. And so if, if we were looking at a soil or if we're looking at a plant in the plant in the sap analysis and saying, wow, you know, my, 
My cations are not as high in nutrient status in the plant as I'd like to see, but when I compare that to my soil sample, it's like it looks like I've got a fair number of those in the soil. So what's missing in that linkage is the biology doing its job and breaking down those things in the soil and, and chelating them and, and bringing them to the plant. So, And that process is the microbe going out, searching down that, that ion, cation, or, or mineral, digesting it, and then processing it out for the plant to be uptaked. Yeah, they, they don't want to miss the basic functions that those yeah, microbes are them, doing. Yeah, they use them for their own you know, met- metabolism and, and body. They survive off of them. Yeah, yep. so they, they construct their, their bodies out of them. They use them for their metabolism. And so when a microbe dies, uh, those materials become available to the plant. So that's one one form of processing an exchange. Can I call them the cows of the soil? Sure. Because they're eating the stuff off the ground and then pooping oh. it out. and Doing, yeah, some processing along and the way. And dying. There's a yeah. lot of dying. Oh, yeah. Yeah, a lot of dying. Okay. And, of course, they have fixed carbon in the soil. So that's a big part of the carbon cycle is actually the the biology building up the microbe population. When they die, they, the carbon gets captured and, and translated in the soil as humus. So uh, that's part of how the, the nutrient cycle goes between microbes and plants. This is a little bit more cutting edge and something that, honestly, we and when I say we, I'm talking about published scientific literature. I don't think that necessarily everybody's quite on board with this yet, but uh, some fairly good recent evidence that looks like the plants can put out exudates through the roots, which direct the, the microbe population yes. to collect specific materials for them. Giving yeah. them marching orders on the way out in a certain sense. Yeah, so they've isolated up to about a thousand different chemical compounds that the. Oh, that's it, a thousand. Jesus. Yeah, yeah we, we don't know what the, all those mean yet. We've actually, oh. uh, again, we, the royal we of, of the scientific community, um, have kind of managed to isolate a couple of those and say, ah, what this means is fixed nitrogen or mm. solubilized phosphorus. So a couple of those in a couple of different plant species have been identified and, and are starting to be actively manipulated commercially. Wow. Uh, so, but a, a thousand different chemical compounds is like, okay, well, they can get a pretty complex message here. Um, Language. Yep. Practically. Yes. And you touched on that a little bit in episode three. Yeah. So wow. um, as the, the plant is directing the microbes, it, it may either encourage the increase in population of a particular set of microbes that has that function. It may actually turn on that function in, in microbes that had that capability but weren't actively doing it. And it may also reward the microbes for bringing those materials to the plant by feeding them. We must turn on and reward our microbes. Yeah, so Don't forget to turn them on and reward them, baby. <laughs> so when we're looking at this app analysis, we're looking at, you know, is that successfully happening? And if it's not, then we can match it with the right product to make sure that we've got the microbes that do those jobs so we can get that nutrient status up in the plant and, and successfully convert that, that nutrient potential that's in the soil to actual nutrient status in the plant. Wow. And, you know, all of this goes on in the wild, right? Plants have been around for a long time. But um, we're pushing plants harder and harder for bigger yields, uh, better nutrient content. In a monocrop, mostly. Right. In a monocrop. Shelf stability. All of that does not happen 
in the wild. So uh, that's why we need to uh, augment our crops because we're asking them to do things that they really weren't doing by themselves a hundred years ago. So um, this process is always happening. It's just blueberry plants in the wild. Um, Don't worry about shelf stability. Yeah, because the blue black bear or whatever eating them is going to eat them, and whatever happens, happens. They fall on the ground, and they're going to turn into nutrients for the soil. Exactly. I've had this point brought up a few times, which is why I'm mentioning it. It does happen. It's just our... What we need as humans and how we're pushing the plants, um, we're asking it sometimes to do uh, more and more and more, and um, we need to give them the tools to do that sometimes. Wow. Mind blower. Well, and I think we've also perturbed the system uh, substantially. One, by all the synthetic fertilizer inputs that we're putting in, kind of has compromised a lot of that give-and-take relationship between the microbe population and the plant. So if if the plant's just kind of absorbing these synthetic fertilizers that are already in plant-available forms, the plant doesn't really have the requirement to to feed and nurture the biology around it. Mm. And so you've you've broken a critical part of that uh, carbon cycle, so that's why we're seeing depleting amounts of carbon in, in our production soils around the world. But it also makes the plant much more vulnerable to pests and diseases. And to, to, so how we fertilized our plants have kind of broken that relationship that we've been talking about. And then also even some of the plant breeding that's been done, especially some of the genetically modified stuff. Uh, corn being maybe one of those examples that's been pushed the farthest. But you can actually do microbiology testing of the the microbes around this, the roots of some of these genetic, genetically engineered plants. It's a very different community and a much uh, thinner uh, diversity, diversity of population. Right. So wow. it's kind of subsampled down to just you know a few sets of microbes rather than the thousands or, or even millions of different species that we would have in, in a classically healthy soil. So it's, it's really going the opposite direction of everything that we've been talking about here. And it actually shows uh, uh, this. I've got a sap analysis in front of me that happens to be corn from the Midwest, and we were we were talking about the the Brooks levels. Uh, so in this case, uh, I think the high number here was uh, eight. eight. Uh, the grower was talking about he had some of his you know uh, normal corn corn varieties and the normal synthetic programs. They were getting two or three in bricks. Wow. And so that just means that, you know, the soluble solids, those nutrients that make up the, you know, the healthiness. That of, thing's barely photosynthesizing in a certain sense, it really, right? Yeah, it, it really is. It's very, you know, think of it as a very th- sick, thin plant that's vulnerable to any pest or disease. And frankly, the nutrient content of what's being produced is not very high either. So when and and you've keyed into this a few times that the bugs can see this. So the bugs flying around and it's like, Ooh, look at that. Ooh, baby, I want that plant. So this thing's got these eyeballs and it's like 
you know, it's, I look at it as like a night vision in a certain sense and it, or like heat seeking and it can see just that and it wants to go to that. Um, I think I want to go like 50 years in the future to where we can like walk into our grow room and put a pair of those glasses on and be like that bug and be like, Oh my God, there's that plant or there's that part of the plant. That's like putting off those signals. Like the bug would see, like, I know I'm being a little crazy here, but like, it might, no, it might no. be headphones instead of, uh, right. Glasses might be a sound wave. Yes. Actually, the likely, oh, yeah. but the glasses is way better. Would be way visual. cooler. Right? <laughs> yeah, way, way, way yeah, better. Yeah, visual. yeah, I got a cool you look. Good too, but yeah. So sorry, I got off a little bit deep there. But I, I stayed up probably two or three hours the other night, laying in my bed, thinking about like, wow, if I can walk into my grow and look at the plants the way that a bug does. I'd have a totally different perspective on my garden and how to take care of it. Because you'd be like, Absolutely. that's a bad one. That one, or like, you know, you'd be, whether, uh, like, to me, in my mind, it'd be like, is it starting from the center of the plant and you're seeing these different colors of, of, of less health healthiness on the outer or the inner or, like, where it's coming from? Like, it can just get super deep. So, sorry again, going off. Let's, keep, let's get Dave to get us back on track here. Yeah, so Dial me in. So we're talking about how you can look at a SAP analysis report and look at the some of the variables that would contribute to whether or not you know what level of susceptibility or attractiveness the plant might have for insects or diseases. So the first one uh, we we started out talking about the difference between bricks and total sugars. So bricks, I, I think of as more of an overall health thing where. It's all the dissolved nutrients and the sugars. Uh, the total sugars being much more directly indicative of uh, how attractive it would be to an insect or actually how, how well an insect could stomach it, literally. Mm. Uh, because if you have all the sugars in the sap, uh, an insect doesn't have a pancreas. And so it ha- it's, uh, doesn't have the ability to, to process sugars. If your mind didn't blow right there, you weren't listening. Then That uh, should be a big one. Yeah, so if, if you're looking at this... They cannot eat sugar. Yep. So in in this particular SAP analysis, and I guess we didn't set the, the table for this part of it, and so I'll backtrack just a second. What we were doing in this SAP analysis was uh, control versus treated, and the control the grower had his absolute normal fertility program exactly as he always does. In the treated, he had our biology in. And so what we're looking at in the SAP analysis is a head-to-head comparison about when the when the biology is in the soil and it's doing its job, how much can it improve the nutrient status of the plant? Because it has all the same things to work with in the soil, right? But it's about translating that into active nutrition in the plant. So when we looked at this, in this particular case, we had a 272% increase in total sugar. Damn. So right there... You know, you you could get to a certain level where you could you could say, hey, this plant's pretty bulletproof uh, in terms of the types of things that would have a problem dealing with the sugars. I'm not saying that this is necessarily there, but I can tell you it's a heck of a lot better than the than the control was. God, I could have slept so much better at night if my plants, all my plants, were right there. Like not knowing I get to get up in the morning and do a foliar spray to try to kill some bugs or something like that. Or, oh man, it's just game changing to take this weight off your shoulders, people. Yeah. So another thing with sugar, Dave, is that you should always have higher sugars in your new leaves. 
So you always want to look at the trajectory of, of new leaves at the top of the plant. Yes. Or your new growth, new growth. Okay. So, um, also how looking forward, um, looking for your whole season, you, you want your plants to continue to grow and you want that new leaf to have higher sugars. Um, really the plant's going to put the optimal amount of, um, MPK magnesium in that new leaf, which we talked about nutrient steering and really understanding the optimums. We'll just look at what your, how your plants are moving around your mobile nutrients. Sugar is the same. It really needs to be healthy, to be a healthy plant. You need to have higher sugars in your new leaves. And if not, that's a red flag. And it's to, to get to that point, we've got to have all the other, micro macros and cations there to be able to produce those sugars if we're missing something down the line we're not going to have those sugars i'm guessing right yeah if if as jenny says if you had new tissue that was lower uh, sugar content than your older tissue i would say your crop is on a like a, a terrible trajectory yep yeah something like, could be full-on failure <laughs> i'm just saying that because it's an easy uh, it's easy to look at a sap analysis and just see, yes, my new leaves have higher sugar. Okay, I can check that box. That's a very easy visual to understand. Wow. And you, and you give training courses on how to interpret the, the sap analysis, right? Yes, we do. New this year, uh, backed by incredible popular demand, all of our... Uh, current folks um, have asked and pleaded with us, so we put together something this year for everybody. Absolutely, we uh, we have a f- we did have a few training courses for larger uh, groups uh, of of a few growers and um, uh, other companies, and now we just do in company in house training for. Uh, for companies or growers that want to have us come in, uh, they take SAP analysis, we uh, pick it apart, and then we teach them how to read it so they can be as successful as possible in the season with interpreting their own SAP analysis. Good, because I'm sure a big farm would want to have somebody educated in this aspect and somebody on site 24-7 that can interpretate this stuff and, and modify their nutrient program in on a heartbeat absolutely because new age cannot be everywhere at once so we started this program yeah. to it's it's we just we just want to ev- educate everybody get everybody on the same plane so newagelabs.com go absolutely. there find it laboratories actually laboratories excuse me laboratories yeah i mean there's so much information here every time i talk to jenny that i learn new stuff about this so uh, and, and there's an, you know almost an infinite number of, of variables that you can get into with raising a crop and the timing of it and the relationships between the different nutrients and uh, their physiological effects on the plants. And so um, there's just so much information here. Education really is the way to unlock the value of the, what's in this test. Yeah. And I, I wonder whether or not grassroots could sponsor some sort of training session. Not to put yeah. you on the spot at all. Well, that'd be awesome. I mean, we, you know, uh, we've definitely talked about wanting to 
to do a bundled kind of deal where people could do sap testing, soil testing, and get a certain amount of microbes and microbe food and nutrients and kind of go through a whole package and plan and say, you know, for you to get the best possible thing, you've got to go through this process and set the foundational stones correct to have that high-end perfect product and we're hoping to include that so um you know previous to covid um i was going to have a big event here at grassroots and call in every consultant possible in the cannabis industry and give them 20 minutes to talk to our customers and allow them to plead their case and say hey why i want to be your consultant and it was going to be the the consultant showdown kind of like <laughs> and we were going to have every supportive possible group and company there from soil testing um, to nutrients to anybody anything can be possibly involved in the community would sit down and ask these consultants and they would have to answer these questions and fix their problems but to go further you would have to you know get with that consultant and do that so you know in the future now things have changed and you know if we could definitely do something just on sap testing i think that's it's going to be way bigger than it was before covid and stuff like that so uh, we would love to do stuff like that that's awesome yeah that's fantastic yeah i love going to events but the events that i host are even better they are they are definitely so where were we at dave well we're talking about uh information you can get from your sap analysis test uh, that's relevant to helping you manage your uh, pest and disease susceptibility. So we talked about the sugar and some of the biting and sucking insects not being able to, to process that, so it makes a, a plant literally unpalatable palatable to the uh, insect. Another thing is actually the form of nitrogen. So there are yeah. some, some insects that uh, and, and also diseases that like high nitrate uh, condition. So if you're fertilizing with nitrate and you're actually over-fertilizing, so the plant is over-status in nitrate form of nitrogen, it becomes very attractive to some pests. And that was the big mind blow I had people as I did my first sap test when I was uh, two weeks into my four-week veg. And it told me I was overloaded on nitrogen and you guys suggested not feeding any more nitrogen from that point forward or you're going to have pest problems. And if I didn't take that test and didn't get that knowledge, I would have continued on the next two weeks and fed nitrogen with my normal program and said, cool, we're rolling forward. Let's keep going. Let's do this. And then I would have ran into some major problems into into flower. So, you know, so that would. This, this I want to bring up. Um, that you would have continued to feed yeah. in nitrogen. So in uh, regular tissue testing with, if you're tissue testing with that, um, a, a single leaf, which is the newest yet fully photosynthetic open leaf, you're only, um, first of all, you're getting the nutrients that is incorporated into the leaf. But secondly, you're only getting half half the value you're only seeing half the the game you're, you're, you're playing chess by yourself you're you're playing um you're, you're playing tennis on the court on your own at this point so the plant is going to move and nitrogen is really mobile so the plant is going to move that optimum value of nitrogen to the newer part you're going to get the best number possible in nitrogen in your new leaf so why is the plant doing that what is that new leaf make made up of there are three scenarios the first scenario is you have a great amount of nitrogen your young and your old leaf are balanced you have a very balanced plant tissue will work very well in this scenario 
if you have balanced nutrients. The second scenario is if you are in deficiency. The plant will be stealing from its old leaves and moving up to the new leaves. Um, Again, in tissue, you're only seeing that new leaf and you're saying, wow, this, you know, this, this nitrogen, I'm doing really great. Well, why, why do you have that great, wonderful nitrogen in those new leaves? It's not showing you that the plant is going into deficiency. So, and then the third scenario as where you were in Tyler is that an overabundance You have an overabundance of nitrogen. The plant is actually now storing nitrogen, unused nitrates in its older leaves. Again, you would not be able to see that in tissue. You would have been able to see that optimum nitrogen number and said, wow, I'm doing great. Probably going to feed a little bit more. You're, you're already in excess. You're all, you would have put your plant uh, highly, highly susceptible to um, diseases and, and insects without knowing it because you're not seeing the other side of the picture. You're not seeing the comparative. Yeah, you're not the seeing the other side of the coin. The other side of the coin. So those are the three scenarios um, which SAP analysis is able to show you and tissue only lets you see one. Hmm. Wow. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but in cannabis culture, probably that over-fertilization, especially nitrogen, Maybe one of the most common growing, or the mistakes. most common, yeah. the most common, the most common. I'd say the most common taking places that with wa- overwatering. Yeah, you know we're really good at that. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, you know that that over nitrogen condition can continue to haunt you. Not only does it raise your your pest and disease profile and and risk, but also when your plants trying to to transition from vegetative to, to reproductive uh, growth stages. Of course, your nutrient ratios change quite a bit, so your demand for nitrogen drops way off. But you still got a whole bunch of it, and yeah, you're still, right, oh, man. Right. Yep. And so you're, you're trying to transition to that plant into reproductive activities, and yet it's still being kind of overstimulated by this excess nitrogen, so it just won't settle down. And it's, so it's kind of fighting itself, staying in a vegetative growth stage when you're like, no, no, it's time to, to go reproductive. So that's when you see a, a great deal of inefficiency in the plant, uh, and it's basically just lo- lost yield potential. Yeah. I remember your your big kickover that I really loved that worked great for me was feeding uh, kelp in that transition time. Mm-hmm. And that was impressive, definitely. Yes, we got a new product in development that uh, is going to be for stimulating the plant for that transition phase. It's definitely Beautiful. focused on that very same concept. Beautiful. Well needed. Focused well needed. transition, maybe. What's that? I said focused transition. I like it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Beautiful. Okay. So we're at an hour and fourteen minutes here. Are we going to be able to get get through all your notes here, Dave? Or are we going to have to do just a whole another episode? I think we've kind of made our point um, yeah. that that these things really work well together. Uh, I think SAP analysis is a tremendous. It's a great diagnostic tool, but it's even more valuable as a predictive tool. So you can be proactive about heading these problems off before they really impact your yield potential and, and, you know, raise your risks of, of production problems. So, you know, get, get your samples early and, and keep sampling and, you know, make sure you really are getting all the value you can out of those results. And I, I'm sure you're going to have a much more successful less in a more trouble-free grow 
Yeah. Oh, definitely. Especially when these things are not fighting each other and they're working together. And, and when you're, you know, uh, you know, let's say you're a really high end grow in multiple acres and, you know, you've got 30 to 60 employees counting on you to produce a crop and keep them paying. I'd want to take a little bit of that weight off my shoulders and use some science. You know, I think there's uh, there's a lot of science you can be using, but using anytime you can em- employ a laboratory and put this stuff down on an Excel sheet and track it over time and then probably break it down by strain, break it down by field, break it down by bed, break it down by pot, you know, it, it can get, get very deep, very, very quick and very successful, I feel. Um, yeah, well, business yeah. is about risk management yeah. and input optimization. You know, and and yield optimization, and you can do all three of those things with this tool. And Dave, um, one thing is, so you did a uh, aerial system that looked at crop health, correct? Correct. Can you go into that a little bit? Because sure. that's just pretty cool. How that's just so interesting. Uh, if you wanted to talk about remote sensing, that'd be a whole other hour. Whole another hour. Okay, so we'll have to tune in for episode three ninety five for remote <laughs> sensing. <laughs> but we're because uh, the whole reason I started this podcast, guys, is because we'd go to Dave's place and we'd have these just super elongated conversations where my mind would blow like eight times, and I'd only be able to retrain retain like thirty percent of it. So, um, you know, we started these podcasts just to put it down on paper, and, and I'm a fan of this. I'm going to go back and listen to this and, and try to implement it more. Um, Either both of you have anything else that we should talk about or anything we missed or anything else you guys want to key into at all real quickly here before we tap out? Not if time is the issue. I mean, Dave and <laughs> I have so much material we could go over uh, so many hours, so not for me right now. Okay. So, um, Jenny, you want to go ahead and give us all the ways of contacting you and how to follow you and shout you out and show you some love? Sure, sure. Uh, we uh, New Age Laboratories does have an Instagram account. Uh, Jenny Garley, also myself, is on LinkedIn. I also have an email, jgarley at newagelaboratories.com, or you can just find us on the web at www.newagelaboratories.com. Beautiful. And Dave? Well, you can get all of our products through Grassroots. So go to the Concentrated Biology page on the Grassroots website. You'll find all the information there. So descriptions of all the different uh, products, how to use them, when to use them, the rates of them, and uh, get them from Tyler. Beautiful. And we are running 25% off right now for Concentrated Biology. Um, The microbe food packages work great for your uh, native microbes as well. If you were going to, you know, do any tea brewing and you want a uh, set diverse microbe food, we have people that are buying just the microbe food, but I would highly recommend getting some microbes with it and adding that in at the end of the brew process just to make sure you've got a massive amount of aerobic microbes going into your system. And our products are a great, great complement to anything you're using in any other biological products. And we might kick them into a motivative situation a little bit faster by using our M foods and a diverse population of food as well. So definitely make sure you guys check out uh, the concentrated biology products and new age laboratories, uh, grassroots fabric pots. Uh, Please give us some uh, comments, some likes, uh, some follows, uh, some subscriptions, all that great stuff. Um, So thank you guys. And uh, we'll look forward to getting you on the next episode. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening today. I just want to take a moment and ask you guys to uh, please subscribe, uh, like, comment, uh, get involved. This is your community, and uh, we would love to hear from you and see which direction we should take these conversations on a daily basis. Uh, Thank you for listening today.